0: Welcome to the With a Dog
1: podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Carly. And I'm Izzy. We find answers to all your dog questions so you can get the most out of life with a dog. Carly, you're back from California. I'm back. How it's was cloudy. The
0: drive? Here.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Drive was good. Drive was really great. I, I just love driving. I think I need to become like an Uber driver or something because... I, I honestly just love it so much. I'm freaking exhausted today, but yesterday it was good. I, um, I rent, we rented a car cause we haven't bought one since we've moved back from London yet. And we, we have one, but it's like my old one that I had <laughs> from when I was 16. And so we haven't bought a car yet. And, um, and so I rented a car. And so on the way back up, I had a minivan. And very nice. Yes. Yeah, so Lupin was happy camper. He was just in the back, like spread out, had the whole, <laughs> the whole area. He could stand up if he wanted to. And then the reason I had the van is because my mom also gave me a bunch of boxes that she decided I needed to um take with me from home. Very nice. Like, oh, here's all your yearbooks. Don't leave them with me. <laughs> so yeah, so it was it was a good drive. It was um we made it in 12 and a half hours. So we improved on our time (laughs) and um, yeah, all in one day just got it done. Um, But yeah, as I said, I'm freaking exhausted (laughs) today. I don't know why I just sat on my butt and drove all day yesterday, but I'm just tired. Sometimes
1: doing nothing is more tiring than doing something. Yeah. It was the alertness
0: that I had to have looking out Mm -hmm. for cops to make sure I could break (laughs) in time before they caught me (laughs) going too fast. Great. Yeah. So that's me. I'm back and settled. And it was really nice to see Albie. He did not forget me. Um, (laughs) He gave me all of the love, but you can tell he definitely bonded with Mike while I was gone. And I'll have to fix that. I'll have to to make sure that he knows that I need to be. Be his favorite
1: <laughs> you are the treat bearer
0: yes yeah <laughs> though mike was like running them and stuff they were going on runs every morning together and i mean they're just he was like albie likes to be pet this way and giving me all the info and i was like oh okay okay you guys really have something special here i can tell so we'll see about that i still have lupin <laughs> lupin still loves me <laughs> <laughs>
1: um yeah that's me how about you how's life i'm chugging along you know, the whole work-life balance, sometimes hard to get, but <laughs> yeah, because your schedule changed, right? Schedule you- change. Yeah. So i um, just finding like what time works best for exercise and how long it's going to take me to get home doing podcast stuff, which I love, <laughs> but it's just like kind of compartmentalizing the whole schedule is a little tricky, especially yeah. with the doggy. So I um, yeah, just true. yeah, just figuring it out. But I feel like, you know, when things just start to click into place and you're just like, oh, thank God, because if it what if it didn't click into place the next couple of days, something bad was gonna happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like when your routine changes and you're not quite used to it yet and you're still trying to figure out, as you said, where everything goes. Like, okay, now I'm gonna exercise in the morning or now Arthur needs a walk at this time or whatever. Yeah. And then it's and then it takes a while to get used to. And if yeah. you try too many different variations, then it just gets confusing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I know it's exactly tough. what you mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so tough, but yeah, we're figuring it out. Um, but nothing to report really just same old, same old quarantine cool. life. Well,
0: let's keep this yeah. short and sweet then. Yeah. For, uh, the listeners, you don't have to hear us talking about how <laughs> tired we are. <laughs> with life. <laughs> Um, So this week, we have Jessie back again. So same guest as last week, the animal control officer. And this time, we basically when we recorded with her the first time, it was a very long episode because we had kind of some FAQs from the community to ask her as well as just interviewing her about her job. So we split it into two episodes. So this week is all about kind of those, those general questions that you may have for an animal control officer. So stuff like dogs and hot cars, and do you need a license for your dog, like a county license or city license, and do they need to be wearing it and all that kind of stuff that may not sound really exciting, but it's something that <laughs> <laughs> it honestly, like, I'm sure people are like, oh, but I think it, it's really, really useful.
1: Yeah. And I think there's like the more burning questions of, you know, what, what do you do? Well, I guess I, went to, I won't say what the questions are because that's what the episode is for. But just think about all the questions you've ever wanted to ask an animal control officer. We basically hit all of them. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And if we don't didn't hit them, then uh,
0: you can always message us and we can ask Jesse or um, just don't tell us because we think we did a great job. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's get into it. Here's Jesse. There was a heat wave last, uh, last year in London, and it was like in the 90s for like a week and, and more. It was like yeah. even higher, and it was it was miserable. Um, but I was the one who was like, this is great. I love it. <laughs> Everyone was just like like
2: three days in. They were just like, yeah. shut
1: up, Carly. <laughs> They're like, so, no one likes this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> when I got back from Afghanistan, I'm on my friend's porch. It's about 90, 95. I'm in a long sleeve shirt pants and they're like what is wrong with you I'm like it's cold guys I'm used to wearing a vest in like hundred plus degree weather I acclimated really quickly but yeah oh my I'm just sitting there I'm like it's so chilly and they're looking at me in short sweat drizzling down I'm like what's wrong with you <laughs> a lot but
1: <laughs>
2: this being one of them
1: anyway um, um yes, so summer. it's hot yes um it's hot summer is upon us I'm- well, it was upon us for a little while. Uh, what do people, it will come back. Uh, what do people do if they see a, a dog in a hot car on a hot day? Um, and what should be kind of like their first instincts of what to do?
2: There are first, I would say, if you are gravely concerned about the condition of the dog and if it's too hot, you can call call 911. They will dispatch either animal control or an officer to the scene In the state of Washington, animals are still considered property. So if you were to break into that vehicle as citizen, they would have to justify that that animal was at a life or death situation. And that's what I even have to do. So I need to look at, there's a lot of factors we get training on. So if I do make that decision, I feel confident that I can support it and back it up in court. So things I'll look for are, is the vehicle parked in the shade? Is there water available? Um, what's the animal's behavior? Are they heavily panting? As dogs, well, to cool down, as you ladies may know, they breathe in cool air. And if they're only breathing in warm air, that panting, which they're trying to do to escape that heat, is just making them even more hotter or warmer. And unfortunately, it's sad to even have that this discussion, but dogs cook from the inside out. So once that process does start, we can't reverse it. So we do need to determine if that is occurring, we need to act immediately, but knowing what you're going to look for. So if you need to justify that in court, you have the tools and the arsenal to say, this is why I made the decision. Are they laying down stretched out versus if they're curled up? they're so probably not that warm. But when they start to get overheat, they want to spread their body out as much as they can. So they're not contracting as much heat. Um, they will also start to be less responsive and they may try to get to the very bottom of the vehicle. So you may see them sitting at in the front, typically, underneath the very bottom on the mat, because that's the coolest part. So there's just different things you want to look at. So I always say for citizens, call me. I'd rather get 20 out of 20 calls to get there and say, oh, the dog's okay, than to have them make a bad decision or thinking they're making the right decision. But unfortunately, in the end, it may not be. So, and plus, we have an infrared thermometer. So. That helps give us more justification that it's getting too warm in there.
1: And are there any circumstances where it is okay for a dog to be in the car? Like, What's the temperature tipping point that people are looking for?
2: I caution um, once it gets even close to 70, because the inside of a vehicle on a hot day will warm up by 30 degrees in less than 10 minutes. So I always say use caution and not that you can't. I always say the only time I bring my dog with me is if I'm staying in the vehicle or if I'm going into the store really quickly and I'll be out in less than 10, 15 minutes. And that's because the weather forecast is not always right. So you could end up going, taking a long trip from your home, and then you end up somewhere where dogs aren't allowed. And what are you going to do now if it's warmer than expected? And even if you park in the shade, the sun moves. So sometimes when they come back, what was once shade is now covered in sun. So I always say use caution. Um, Still always look at the forecasts, plan ahead. Um, If you go into a park, make sure you research that the park allows dogs. So again, you don't get there and realize, oops, now what do I do with my furry pet? So big thing research, but once it gets near 70, I always say use caution.
1: And I think that also applies to like overcast weather as well, correct? Like even if it's overcast and sunny-ish.
2: Well, and especially, like I was saying earlier, I got in my car today and it wasn't even 60, but yesterday was so warm, so I don't know. Or if it's just like you said, the forecast um, and they're still overcast, the inside of the vehicle can still heat up, especially with all the windows down or all the windows up. It can just insulate all that heat.
0: Okay, so what I hear you saying is anytime over 70 or, you know, do your research if you are the one who's going to be leaving the car, dog in the car as far as what the temperature is going to be that day, what the weather is going to be, where you're going, all of that. But if you see a dog in the car, then you like call 911 or the emergency number rather than breaking into the car yourself.
2: Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Let us be the ones to make that decision. Put that on us.
0: Okay. Um, Okay. Next question. What do you do if you find a stray dog um, on the side of the road? Whatever. It's just out and about. You find a stray.
2: You can always call us animal control if you're not sure what to do. And a lot of people might be on on a rush to work or to get somewhere. So if you can capture the dog and confine them so they're not running further or into traffic. Um, if you can hold on to the dog, you can transport them, look up where your local jurisdiction contracts with, and you can transport them to a shelter. But um, First, I'd always say check for a collar, see if he or she has tags. Typically, they haven't made it very far from home, and you can always stop into a vet um, for free. Most will scan for a microchip because they, just as us, they want to get them back to their home. There's also websites that have lost like Snohomish County has a Facebook website, lost dogs in Snohomish County, lost cats. And finders can also post on there saying, I found this Golden retriever or boxer a photo. So I always say use caution to not post too much. So the owner has to provide you with information. So you are returning the animal to the correct owner. Mm, That's a good
0: tip. That makes sense. You don't want to be like, he has a white ear, you know, like right on the back of his ear. And then they're like, great. That's the exact boxer that I wanted
2: illegally. (laughs) Unfortunately, there are a few people out there with malicious intent. So I always say just act with caution. And
1: uh, what do you do if that dog that you've just found is injured? Is it still the same protocol or is there something that a citizen can do to kind of like help you guys out or help the dog out immediately?
2: Absolutely. Great question. It would depend upon the severity of the injury. Um, If it is severe or if you're unsure, I would say take him or her right away to the nearest vet. Um, Some people are concerned because they will say, you know, well, I don't want the burden of the finances to come back to me if the owner's upset or they can't find the owner. Um, In my jurisdiction, I will step up and that will fall to us to figure out. So our primary concern is going to be getting that animal care immediately to get them in a better condition.
0: Okay. So if we could, or if the finder could take them in to somewhere, you know, immediately then for help, then great. And if not, like definitely call your number and and you'll treat it as an emergency.
2: Exactly. Okay. The one time I may be able to use my emergency lights. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what if
0: the animal that you find or that a person finds is deceased, whether it, whether it's a dog, you know, or a cat or a yeah. deer or something on the side of the road, what do they do? Cause I understand that they maybe don't want to necessarily put it in their car and yeah. take it somewhere. So what, <laughs> what happens with that?
2: Um, again, I'd say call us if you can't transport them to the vet, we will again, check for the collar and see if they have a chip. Because the ideal situation would be to locate an owner and at the very least, let them know so they have closure. So that would be our ideal outcome. If we are unable to locate an owner, we will hold on to the remains for at least a few weeks and hope that an owner contacts us.
0: So speaking of contacting, you say call us, you know, like in all of these <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how do you find the... Animal control officer phone number for the jurisdiction that you're in?
2: Yeah, most of the time you can just look it up online, um, put in the city you're in and a local animal control. And worst case scenario, you can call 911, or most jurisdictions also have a non emergency 911 number you can call. So if there is a life or death situation, you'll still reach the same people, but you might be put on hold for a little bit.
1: All right. So that
0: sounds good that there's, there's always a backup. Cause I know I've personally been in the situation where a, there was a situation with a dog that, and it was like nine at night, I was driving home from somewhere and it was nine at night. And I was like, I was, this is when I was way younger and I was Googling like, who do I call? I can't find out. Like, you know, and I kept hitting all these roadblocks cause they, it just kept going to voicemail. And I was like, I don't want to leave the dog here. Eventually I figured it out, but it is good to know that you can call nine one one if needed.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that's like a big uh, roadblock for some people because they think, oh, I'm kind of wasting like precious emergency time and whatnot. So I am in the Yeah, and there's no
2: no no limit. That. <laughs> <laughs> we have no limit on how many people are off call nine one one. Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you think it's an emergency, we treat it as an emergency. And there is for um this area, so we should tell County, the BCA in Linwood is 24-7. So if there ever is an overnight emergency after hours, especially with a dog that's injured, you always have that in your back pocket.
1: And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, each kind of jurisdiction, do they contract with local emergencies in case they have kind of those urgent scenarios?
2: I can't speak for other jurisdictions, but um, I know many of them do because we want to. The ideal outcome is to have the animal be safe. Mm-hmm. And we would prefer to figure out the financials later than to hesitate because we're worried about that. So most do have a game plan of after hours contact.
1: Okay, cool.
2: And a big thing I like people to know as well is most vets are not going to refuse an animal that needs emergency care. Most of us are in this line of work because we are so passionate about animals and can't handle watching them suffer.
1: That's always good to know. I think that's a huge, um, a huge barrier also for some people. I don't know if anyone who is listening right now has taken their dog to an emergency, but it's usually, um, here's the paperwork. We're going to take your pet back. This is how much it's going to cost for that initial examination. And we'll get back to you with any additional, um, tests or any anything else that we need to do. And if you do find a stray dog, I don't think it's that same kind of procedure. Probably not. You'll still have to give over your information just so they can put that pet in the system, but it's not going to be that same kind of financial procedure if it's a stray.
2: True. Mm. Typically very true. And another reason they may want to obtain, which I like to obtain the finders information. Is if there's any confusion later on exactly where the animal was found, because again, it's most likely that animal lives somewhere nearby. So it also helps us assure the we can ask where the owner lives. Oh, that was two houses down where Duke was found running.
0: Kind of circling back, like with the whole stray dog situation. Absolutely.
2: And let's say I
0: find a stray dog, and because I think a lot of people want to try to keep the dog in their care while they look for the owners. One, is that the right route? And two, if they do choose to do that route, what is legally required of them to do? Because to, if they're like, you know, if I can't find the owner, I want to keep it or something like that. But like, I would feel absolutely terrible if I was that owner looking for my dog and then the people were like, oh no, I've had him for months. And it's like, well, did you even search? Like he had a, a loving home. <laughs> exactly. So how does that work out?
2: Yeah, and it's that's a great question because it's very hard sometimes we also make that emotional decision where we're like well the dog's running loose obviously someone doesn't care I'm just going to hold on to them which life happens we're living creatures dealing with living creatures which um, are repetitive then that's something animal control or the police can discuss with them but I think it's just stepping back and making sure we don't let our emotions make that decision um, and it's stressful for the dog too a lot of them are most likely highly attached to their owners so ideally we want to get them back to their home. If a finder legally finds one, they do have to report to animal (laughs) control into the part of the podcast (laughs) right on cue and to the local shelter animal shelter. They do have to report that that dog is found. So it gives the owner an opportunity. Ideally it would be best to let us know and surrender them to the local animal shelter. Um, Most will up If you want to share your info and say, you know, if Duke doesn't get adopted, I would really like to be up consideration. And a big reason for bringing the shelter as well is many owners, they may not think to check the website. They may not even think to contact us, but most will go right to the local animal shelter and do a lost report. And many will come in and do a walk around in hopes they're going to find them. So it increases the chances that the animal is going to end up back in the home. And that's what we aim for.
0: So legally, they have to at least contact the local shelter and s- submit like a found dog report Correct. Or, yep. or contact you and submit a found dog report.
2: Exactly. And even I would say if they're willing, put up a found report, again, with limited picture information on websites, nextdoor.com, Lost Dogs in the County, if that's where they reside just to provide more opportunities for the animal to get back in their original home. Because it's very stressful for them too. Most are set on a routine. Most have a very loving home. But again, I think a lot of it is separating our emotions. Because I've had wonderful people, but they found a dog. And they it was an older spaniel. And they really thought the dog, you know, trying to do the right thing they believed the dog was coming from a bad situation. Like she's really skinny. She's not moving well. Her hips are bad. And so they really wanted to keep the dog. And I told them, "I'll hold your information. Um, Ideally, I want to find the owner to get the full picture. And that dog was 16 years old. Once I looked at her teeth and found the owners, confirmed the age. She was doing really well for 16. Mm -hmm. And while the finders had, nothing but positive intentions, that would have been incredibly stressful for that dog to have stayed in a new home they weren't unfamiliar they were unfamiliar with, especially when they had loving parents at home. And the parents they they dressed everything right away about her hips. She's been having medical treatment. They were on top of it. So I think a lot of it it's hard. It's not an easy thing at all. Or sometimes I've had finders um, say the dog had to have been abused. He cowers when I go near or when I put my hand above. But sometimes that's just lack of socialization. If they're in a home where the owner says, I've just been the only one and friends and family that interacts, but the dog hasn't had a lot of new experiences, sometimes they can exhibit those same behaviors that we often confuse with abuse.
0: Yeah. I mean, that example. If someone found Lupin wandering around (laughs) They'd be like, he cowers away. Exactly. He's like, oh, his muscles aren't, you know, he's not very muscly. He must be underfed. He's got skin issues. Look, at he's obviously living on the streets. And it's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) We spend lots of money on him and he's (laughs) very well taken care of to address all of his issues. So that's a really good point that just what you see may not be the correct answer. Exactly.
2: And a lot of, for many dogs, it's very scary with a new person coming up to them and petting them. And it's very common for them to shy away. It's a new place, new smells, new sounds. Your pack is not there. So they exhibit a lot of those behaviors just due to lack of familiarity with the environment.
1: And so, kind of touching on the abuse portion, um, if you have like maybe a neighbor or maybe you're just kind of walking your dog and you see, Through someone's yard or whatever that scenario might be but you do witness witness with your eyeballs the abuse or have an inkling that there could be some abuse going on um what should people do in that
2: case I know it's a surprise but I'm going to say contact us or the police (laughs) 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 police. Uh, biggest thing I tell people is if you can log it, um definitely if you can get any footage, but at the same time, number one is your safety. So you don't want to jeopardize your safety, and you also don't want to infiltrate or trespass onto someone else's property. So if you can log what you've seen at what time during the day, where the person was, where the dog or cat, any animal was, um, like again, if you even recording as a use caution because you don't want to invade somebody's privacy. So make sure it is an area where you feel comfortable video recording that and it won't come back to you that you're invading somebody's privacy. But, and I always say, if you're not sure, or you have seen it, um, give us a call in a heartbeat and we'll go over what steps we can go through next. But number one, two, because sometimes you're getting more, again, emotional, like, well, I'm going to go talk to the person and I'm going I'm going to address this. Let us do that. It's no help for you, the animal if you put yourself in danger.
0: Okay. So basically, if if someone sees something or thinks that there's something going on as far as like cruelty or neglect or abuse or something along those lines, gather as much information as they safely can and submit it to you, then you guys will kind of handle the rest. Exactly. Is there anything else? Well, like... I guess what is the legal standard of care for a dog? Because I think a lot of people maybe be like, This dog is outside all the time. Yeah. It, it must be, you know, abused, which sounds correct, you know, from my dogs who sleep on my bed. So, you know, so yes, yeah. I understand why people think that, but what is actually legally allowed?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also remembering we have different generations and some individuals still come from times where, hey, I have a guard dog or they're in the backyard um, and they live outside, but that doesn't mean the dog doesn't have a good life. So with the law, they do have to have proper shelter. So when it rains, snows, they have something to protect themselves. Um, If they're outside all the time, a kennel that has a top, bottom, and three sides, and maybe even just an opening for the dog to come in and out so they're properly protected from the elements. And if you live somewhere here, we don't experience it as much, but if there's heavy snow, there has to be a way that the dog can generate heat, especially if they're somewhere where it's below freezing and having access to water. So there is a minimum standard that they do have to have, and it can be hard. Um, let say, even how um, I treat my animals and how I help most people do will exceed that level of care that the law allows but it's to making sure we're not putting our emotions on it so much and being able to separate and sometimes those dogs that live outside may have a happier life than dogs that are inside all the time and maybe goes on goes on a walk a few times a week so it's a lot of understanding to the breed characteristics the thickness of the coat so there's many more factors that will go into it as well okay um
0: I think a lot of people hesitate to call animal control or the police yeah. or, or whoever um, when they see mistreatment like this. Like maybe they they talk to their other neighbor about it, you know, like oh, have you seen so and so? Like I don't know, I don't think that this treatment of this dog or this animal is right. What do you think? They may kind of talk about it like within their community, but I think a lot of times they hesitate to make that big call, like that jump of like actually reporting it. And I wonder, I think it's a lot of times because they're afraid that this person is then going to come after them. Like the the owner is then going to be like, come after them and be like, you reported me for my dog or anything like that. And then maybe seek something against them. I don't know. But I I think that that would be a fear. Is the person who reports all this stuff, is their info public knowledge?
2: So how it works, actually, I have a case I was working on just recently that that was the biggest concern from the reporting party was the retaliation. So one thing I would always say, if we're that concerned with the animal, I don't share your information with a person um, because it is police record. The anybody can ask for a public disclosure. So like, but the person would want to pursue that it'd be they'd have to submit paperwork but otherwise we don't willingly share who provided us with the information and they can also call 911 one one and choose to be anonymous so that is always an option right there so if you're not sure you can call and be anonymous or I've even had people call my office and say you know this is what's going on um and they be like i don't want to say who i am and i'm like that's perfectly fine and they want to ask questions about the process before they want to share their information but what I always want to caveat with as well is if the animal is in danger, we're not going to change anything by not saying anything. Again, we're going to protect your information to the best of our ability. And if, even if the suspect person wanted the, and they submitted a public disclosure, it still protects. We're not going to provide your phone number your address. So your personal information is still going to be protected. Um, so
1: what are- the procedures, um, that are in place when people do call either if it's for dog abuse or maybe if, um, or animal, animal abuse, I should say, cause it could be any animal. Um, or maybe if someone got bitten by another dog, um, another person's dog, what would be the, like the run through? Uh, another
2: good question. It is going to be different versus a bite and cruelty. So for both, we're going to want to gather witness statements. So what that does, um, especially for cruelty, I will need those witness statements to give me the probable cause to take action. So if the person's not willing to put it in writing and I don't have any audio or visual footage, I can't sub, I can't validate it. So that's kind of a hard part. I can always make contact with that person, but if they says, no, that's not happening, I have to go off that word. I don't have the further proof. And so what I will also do in cruelty cases is if it's in an apartment complex, I may go knock on neighboring units to see if anybody else has heard or seen anything. Um, The more witness statements I can get, I hope the situations I prefer they never occur, but unfortunately that's not the reality we live in. I would try to get as many witnesses as possible to provide me with a probable cause and also to provide that evidence that this is occurring. So if this, if we're not able to get video or audio, if I get enough witness statements and they sign those, it's the same as if you have an oath in court, you're swearing that this is what you saw. And then with a bite, um, with a bite, we always say, please report it to us. Um, we will have to do a bite report. And with that, the dog, anytime an animal, a dog bites and punctures the skin, of another person or human, they do have to go on a 10 day quarantine. And that's a federal law that so even though, hopefully most of our animals are vaccinated, rabies is a virus and it could mutate. So that 10 day quarantine, helps us substantiate that the dog doesn't have rabies in quarantine right now. I know it's a very scary word. So we don't take the dog. We don't put them anywhere. They just have to be in your home. Of course they can go out and go on bathroom breaks. We don't want to stress them out, but they just can't interact with any new people. They can't go on any new adventures for the end of 10 days. And then regarding the bite, we will get as many witness statements as possible. And a big reason for that is for human beings, Five people could see the same thing, and five people could have five different interpretations of it. So, with a bite, we do have to determine if it's provoked. Um, if it is the first bite that punctures the skin of a person and does not require stitches or sutures, or bites and puncture the skin of a dog, they could be labeled potentially dangerous. If it's reoccurring or incredibly severe, they could be labeled a dangerous dog. And unfortunately that does come with you have to get a quarter million dollar bond. The dog has to be muzzle it all times at the property and there's certain stipulations to it. But my job is to get all the statements to determine first, is it provoked? Is there anything that had caused, um, I've had one where the guy, he never made contact with the dog, but he'd always go by and yell at the dog, and kick the fence almost every other day. So once the dog got loose, he It was, any bite is, I don't, I don't like to hear about any bite. We don't, dogs should never bite any person or another animal. But in that case, due to the repetitive behavior of him kicking the fence, adding the derogatory statements, which solidified that his behavior was more malicious than it was just, you know, somebody walking by and kicking the air. So in certain situations, for me, that was able to determine there was some sort of provocation to the dog's behavior. Not that we ever condone that. But I want to be able to understand where the dog's coming from. Um, I had another scenario where I had a sixty-pound dog get out and severely injured a three-pound Yorkie by sitting on him. There were no puncture wounds, but the owners were extraordinarily upset, rightfully so. The little dog got tension thorax due to all the weight and had a lot of medical care needed. But the, I didn't could not deem the other dog as dangerous. It was an inappropriate play match. Um, The dog got out, which should have never happened, and I find the owners, but there was no malicious intent from the dog. It was a 60-pound dog should have never been able to make contact with a three-pound dog. So there's a lot going into it to determine what occurred. And I always say, too, let us know, because if I do end up labeling a dog potentially dangerous, I work with the owner. We're not just here to say, this is what happened, here's the outcome, Fix it. goodbye. I really want to work with them to say, you know, what causes? How can we ensure the dog's never in that situation again? Let's set them up for success. So if they're never in a situation to fail, they don't have the opportunity to do so, and we're never going to be back in the situation where the dog fit. So
0: yeah. So it it's going back to what you said in last week's episode, as far as you're more of a helper and education kind of focus when these things do happen so you can say why did the dog get out and how can we fix this and what is correct play match and what is you know malicious intent and like all those kind of exactly things figure it out with them yeah exactly and go
2: more education um one thing I always say, like to tell people is always observe your dog um, especially if you're out in a play park in a park even if you have a puppy and they're the most social dog you've ever had Just like people, we may have that friend that gets along with everybody, but there's still maybe a few people in the world they clash with. So just always being aware of their nonverbal cues. Um, Unfortunately, most of my dog bites, my owner tells me, my dog's never done this before. So let's just make sure we always, they're just like us, living creatures, changing different situations, different, different reactions so they can get stressed out. So let's just always be cognizant of that and Awesome if we've never, if they're always social, but let's just make sure we still keep them on the path for success.
1: And is that the same um, procedure that if your dog is the one who maybe bit the other dog or bit the person, can you actively like say, or does it make a difference if I called and was like, Hi, I just want to let you know my dog bit this person today, it broke skin? Like, does that make a difference if the owner is? proactively contacting you
2: versus the bitey? It definitely does. Unfortunately, it doesn't change if I have to label potentially dangerous or dangerous. Um, As I tell people, it's never my decision. I'm just enforcing the law. Um, But it definitely helps because to me, it shows that the owner is forthright about what happened. And I feel like they'd be more receptive to how can we prevent this from occurring again. And it's something I put in my report as well is saying the owner was the one to reach out to me and report it.
0: It sounds like on your side with as far as the procedure for the biting, whether it's, you know, my dog that bit someone or maybe it was my dog that got bitten, either way. Your end of it is just kind of understanding the exact, like how it played out, getting those witness statements and then assessing, you know, if it's potentially dangerous or dangerous and then maybe quarantine or, or like those kind of next steps, not necessarily because I think there's this whole legal component of it. A lot of people are like, well, you know, this dog hurt my dog. They need to pay for the vet fees or things like that. So you don't, you're not involved in any of that. That's more a different part.
2: That will be if, I always tell people, first of all, please reach out to the owner. Um, I think I've had one case in three years where they went civil, but I went to one bite and the person's first is, well, I have to sue them for medical bills. And I'm like, well, let's contact them. Let's see if we can work this out and figure it out first. So by the way, great summary, definitely paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> my,
0: um, my grandma listens to the podcast and she was saying that in communication, it really helps if you repeat what the person just said. So I'm trying, I'm trying your methods, Mimi. Um. Everybody say hi, grandma. Yeah, everyone say hi to Mimi. Um, So, okay. So next question, licensing. Yes. Does my dog need a license? How is that different from the rabies certificate license that you get versus like a county city one? and like what's the point of it basically and when do you need to have it
2: (laughs) so the rabies is going to be through the vet what the pet license does is register the dog with the city and basically that funding goes towards our department so it helps with equipment we got to pay for each dog that we bring to the shelter so it helps us maintain that contract Um, and we do it's cheaper if your animal's fixed so it's also a way for us to inspire people to keep their animals spayed and neutered um and I, one thing i definitely want to mention is any dog that stray that i found well i won't say they're strayed but a dog got loose that had a pet license those are almost immediately returned to the owner so that's a big thing i always say for people to get them licensed and have them on them because my ideal outcome when i find an animal is to get them back to their own.
1: And I know that some, um, I don't think it's the case with your jurisdiction, Mm jesse but I know that there are some jurisdictions that they actually require you to buy a license if your dog's been picked up and taken to the local shelter. In order to get your dog back, you would have to purchase a license and then come back to the shelter with proof of that license.
2: We will not require them at that exact moment, but I will obtain their information and I will send them a letter. They have to be licensed,
1: and we give them a few weeks to get. it Okay, and then you follow up after that. Yes, yep. And say it's
2: been a few weeks. Where is it? (laughs) It's cheaper to get the license and the fines. Exactly, (laughs) but we understand they may not have that money right away. So we will. We don't want to hold the animal to stress them anymore. We don't want the animal to pay the price because they can't pay the price. So we will allow them a couple weeks to make that happen. So is it by city that the licensing is for done us,
0: or is it county?
2: As for us, it's city. It depends upon the jurisdiction that the animal control officer is associated with.
1: And then if people would like to uh, prophylactically get a license um, without having... <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that's the meaning of that word. <laughs> really? I mean, we say it I, all the time. I, I thought in, it was proactive. I guess in medicine. Proactive.
2: Proactive. I was going to say probably Google that word.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, Google I, it. It could be something else. I thought prophylactic I don't know. We was say- like a... Producing? I could be wrong, Izzy. You could be right. It, I don't know. We It's
2: for plant and
1: Oh, it's to prevent disease. That's why we say it all the time at work. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was doing wildlife I'm surveys like... um years ago, three months with my partner, and it was literally the last week. And I kept, I don't remember the word, but I kept using a word. And she goes, Hey, Jess, I think you've been using that word wrong. I'm like, it's been three months. She like, we just said it so confidently. She's like, I started to believe it. <laughs>
0: That's
1: great. Please don't put this in. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm
0: going to. I had please don't.
1: just I shows won.
2: that shows
1: we're all human. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm rewinding. Um, so, like rewind <laughs> <times>. <laughs> Thank you. If people want to proactively get a license.
0: <laughs> you can't say it um, like that. Cause if I take it out, no one's going to know why you're like proactively. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't help it. Okay. Um, so if someone wants to proactively get their dog licensed, um, Oh, God. But if a dog, if a dog, if you would like to get your dog licensed, how do you find out the jurisdiction? Is it the jurisdiction that you live in or is it um, like the county that you live in? That kind of
2: thing. So you can look it up online um, and you can like Snohomish County has a website that you can put your address in and it can tell you, oh, you are the city of Everett, city of Edmonds of Linwood or unincorporated. And then you can always contact city hall and ask them, how can I go about obtaining a dog license? And for us, you can either, we actually have a website you can go to, or you're welcome to come into the police station. Um, right now we're aiming for the website more, but I'm um, again, one day I'll come back can go into the station. Okay. Um,
0: last question. What info about my dog do I need or should I keep on hand, like easy access, like whether I'm at the dog park or I'm out yeah. and about with him, what info should I have that would help anyone and everyone like get yeah. involved?
2: Some dog parks do require, which most should, that your dog is up to date on vaccinations for their own safety. So a big thing is just having the pet license and the rabies tag on their collar. Um otherwise than that I always say it's beneficial that anywhere you go with your dog always have a collar on them. It shows ownership if they were to get loose. Um I would say always to have a leash, collar, poop bags and a water dish. Just in case a mm-hmm. uh, little adventure turns into a big adventure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send Lupin off with a backpack from now. On.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just in so, case <laughs> you got your purse, you got your supplies. <laughs>
1: Is it, um, obviously I agree with keeping your pet up to date on vaccines. Sometimes, you know, people may not have the money. There could be different scenarios in the home. If I have an expired rabies tag on my dog, um, and let's say I just haven't gotten around to getting them revaccinated or, you know, it's just, it just happens, hasn't happened for whatever reason. I'm is keeping the expired tag on there useful? Should they remove it? Should, is that going to incur some fines if they were found or anything like that?
2: Not any fines, at least for our jurisdiction. But it's great to have on there because it does show that you have a vet. And what we could always do is call, contact the vet and they could go, oh, well, Izzy's been up to date. She's about one month overdue. Versus it's going to be a different conversation. If you're like, yeah, she got the last one in 2015. So it provides a means of contact. But um, I would say, fortunately, we do live in a time where hopefully most vaccinated mating is becoming more common and more prevalent. But we want to make sure we stay on that track because we aren't currently seeing less spread of rabies and distemper. but that's because everybody is keeping up to date um, for the most part. It's when we start to see the general population start to lapse. That's when we may start to see the rabies and distemper show back up in our domestic animals. Okay. um,
0: I think, I think that was all of our questions. So are, are there any questions that you think we should have asked? <laughs> Is there anything that you're yeah. like, <laughs> I wish I wish the public yeah. knew this because every single day they mess up on this. And like, what is there? Anything along or those any lines? common questions yeah. that you have as well? Yeah.
2: Um, I think I don't think I mentioned this, but the biggest thing is some people are hesitant to call us because they think, oh, if they can't find an owner, we're going to take the dog to doggy jail, even if the dog's in a great condition where they're not fearful about them going back to their home. So I like to really let the public know our number one goal: if we find the dog or cat, any I've had a ferret, um, any animal, is to return them back to their home. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us. I think, you know what?
0: I think I can support that as far as the whole like, oh, I don't want them to go to doggy jail. <laughs> all of us have shelter experience, all three of yes. us. And we know that the dogs are extremely well cared for. I was sitting in my lunch on my lunch break, you know, hand feeding these dogs because they didn't eat that morning. Just like, oh, this one's really active. Take them on another walk. It's not that they're like, in this terrible prison situation, yeah. that, that they're yeah. not loved or anything. So I agree with that. Exactly.
2: I worked at a shelter in Michigan, um, and I volunteered at one in South Dakota, and then I worked at one out here in Washington. And I've gone into all of them, and I've seen volunteers come in in horrific rain or Michigan snowstorms. And there's volunteers are so incredibly dedicated that are I'm not leaving till every dog gets a good walk and I'll go in, and I'll see one dog go up her walk, Snoopy, and then an hour later, there goes Snoopy. Two hours <laughs> later, there goes, I'm just like, this dog's getting more walks than my dog at home.
0: Yeah, it's true. It makes me want to up
2: my game. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, that can sometimes be a misconception. We hear that term, doggy jail, but shelters are really on top of the behavior. So if it's one that's really exuberant, likes to be social. When um, we worked at, they do puppy play dates or dog play dates. So they get that adequate socialization. Um, you know, even not a lot going on today. Let's give them calm with peanut butter and milk bone. So they work very hard to make sure they are physically and mentally satisfied.
0: Yeah. Agreed. We work hard guys. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Um cool. Well, I think that's all of our questions. If that's all of the info that you want to share with everyone,
1: then I think we're good. Thank you so much for coming on again, Jesse. We really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And we can't wait to have you on again.
2: Thanks for having me again. If you guys ever have more questions from the public, animal control related, I would love to answer them.
1: I wonder if if you're interested in a and I wonder if. We could sort that, like, on a Facebook Live thing. Or maybe we
2: can make a Reddit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, your face shows your excitement. I don't think we could yeah. say no. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: idea of going, like, live scares the crap out of me.
2: For live, me Instagram or
0: Facebook. Yeah. But that's okay.
1: You know what? My mom does it every Sunday at 4 p.m. They have a little, like, street sing-along. And then she puts it on Facebook Live and everyone in – not everyone, but – it gets like 800 views so of mom. like her street having a, yeah, I know. And I'm like, I don't know how you do it. She needs to, she needs to advertise the
0: podcast at the same time. There you go. <laughs> we go. Right. We get 800 more people.
2: <laughs> so you have a really exactly. fun mom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's pretty great. <laughs> she crochets.
0: <laughs> it balances out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. All right. We need to officially
2: Does
1: she dance and crochet? No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she actually salsa dances. dances. So. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Um okay, we need to officially say goodbye. So we could okay we can put
1: that into the recording at least. <laughs> Well, thank you, Jesse, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners are going to have a great time listening to all of the answers that you've given us today. And we'd love to have you on again sometime. I
2: look forward to it. Yes. Thank you for you having me. Up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you've cleared up a lot of info. So I'm so happy. Um, and thank you again. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Bye, Jesse. Bye. Bye, Izzy. Bye, Carly. Bye, listeners.
0: <laughs> Yay. Done. Yay. Good. Great.
1: Woo! All content on The Dog Podcast is for informational purposes only and should not replace professional advice, treatment, or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer, or behaviorist.